All right, we have here AJ Asgari, multiple owner of multiple pharmacies. Uh, Drugstore to Door is the new company. You own real estate. You own portions of a bank that I want to get into as well. Just a serial entrepreneur. And like we were talking about, a psychopath just like myself, just <laughs> loves business. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Excited. Yeah, of course, man. So let's just dive right into it. Tell us a little bit more about your story, where you've been, you know, where you're heading, where you're at now. Want to hear it all. Yeah, you bet, man. I, the super high level that I love to give is I'm born and raised in Norman, Oklahoma, tech epicenter of the world, right? And so full sarcasm if people didn't catch on <laughs> yeah. that thing. So very much an oil and gas state, you know, that's kind of where all the, the big money is in this place. But I grew up here, man. I grew up as a little fat kid. I like to preface with that story because it kind of taught me a lot about, I think, my drive into business. And, you know, so little fat kid growing up in Norman, Oklahoma, dealing with the things I had to deal with and, you know, going through high school and then coming out through college, I ended up going to pharmacy school. So I'm actually got a doctor of pharmacy degree, actually a pharmacist. I practiced for a little bit when I was buying my first location. So there's a ton of stories in all of it, but you know, the weight loss transformation was the first big thing that kind of taught me how much control a person can have of everything. And that's what started to spiral the entrepreneurial journey. Uh, once you start to realize like the work in is the workout. And so I always dropped that little nugget in there just because it was a pivotal moment as far as business goes. But man, did what everybody did that's got the sickness from mowing lawns to door knocking, putting sprinklers in, digging trenches, cut. If it, if you would pay me to do it, I would figure out how to do it. And back then there was no YouTube, man. We were winging, like winging it, winging it. And so all the way through now to where obviously got out into pharmacy, owning pharmacies, love real estate. I'm half Persian. I mean, you have to own real estate. It's like part of your birthright or else you're, you get banned. <clears throat> and then just continue to get into stuff. Just love the, the challenge of business and just continue to invest in different areas, take on different challenges. And then our latest and greatest is obviously drugstore to door, which is really centered around independent pharmacy and access to medication. And it's timed perfectly, right? With Mark Cuban and all the stuff that's starting to get some publicity. We're right on track with all of that utilizing this network. So happy to dig in anywhere, but there's a lot of meat in there that I don't think we can unpack the whole ice chest in, in a 20 minute, 30 minute podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you, you diving in there. And, and what I've come to find is a lot of people that we interview. And I think a lot of people, as they get into entrepreneurship, they realize the synergy between health and fitness and entrepreneurship. They're, they go exactly. hand in hand. They are not mutually mm -hmm. exclusive because you are right. As soon as you're able to prove to yourself that the work in is the workout on the fitness side, because that's like the easiest way to start mm -hmm. seeing results, then you can have the confidence to do anything on the business side. So tell us a little bit more about what that transformation looked like and how long that transpired and then how it really applied to your your entrepreneurship journey. Yeah, man, you bet. And by the way, I'm a little underweather, so I sound nasally. This is not my real voice. So eat it up. This is a, a one-time one time thing here. As far as that side went, you know, I was 13, 14 years old. I hated being fat. Like, let me make that clear. I was a chunky, like 14 years old. I was like 240 pounds. I wore it well, but I was a chunk. But I hated it. The thing was, I didn't have the tools. I didn't know what to do about it. It wasn't for lack of motivation that I was a chunk. It's just like... You know, my mom's like, oh, 20 piece chicken nugget. That's completely reasonable for a 13 year old kid. You want fries and Coke to go with that? Like that was the, you know, environment that I grew up in. It was all out of love. And then there were a couple of people who decided, Hey, let's do a little 
weight loss journey thing. We want to set this up and we need some candidates. And I was like, sign me up. Like at 14, I'm like, please sign me up. So going from 14 to 15, I dropped about 60 pounds that summer. And all I needed was the information. Once I received the information, the application was all me. I put it in every single day, never looked back, actually got into competitive bodybuilding, did that all the way through high school and my undergrad of college, really went to the other extreme, if you will. And then as I got older in life, started to balance everything back. But I saw a lot of things change in that time frame. One was like the respect from other people and how they view you taking control of something like that, watching that transformation. You also get to see two sides of people. So you start learning the whole art of not giving a fuck, if that's okay, or bleep me out or whatever. You do, you you start to realize like how shallow and how deep some people are and everyone's got different stuff and you see all that stuff and people who treated you one way as a little fat kid and then now you're the popular guy with the muscles and the death. You see all the, the changes in people behavior. So you learn early on like, man, you know, Pay attention to you, get really focused on you. If you go all in on you, you put the work in, you get the results, you know, and then the only limitation is you. So when you get rid of all the noise, and like you said, then it just starts to translate to everything. You're like, man, if I apply these principles to business, then the money starts showing up, the customers start showing up, the success starts to show up, right? And you rinse and repeat and you rinse and repeat. So definitely a, a big factor in. One of the big factors in me really going all in on, on the entrepreneurship side. Awesome. So, so as you alluded to, this weight loss transformation now <clears throat> developed this new sickness, quote unquote. Right. Uh, you got the entrepreneurship bug, right? And, and I yeah. do agree with you that it's relatively a sickness, right? It's almost easier to not go down that yeah. path, but the lifelong of suffering is not, is not the easiest as well. Being broken yeah. and, and being in the same cog in the wheel of the machine. So tell us a little bit more about how you went from being in pharmacy school where it's very like you're heavily educated. There's a lot of like strict laws and all that stuff inside of there to owning your own business and then continuing to compound over that. Yeah, absolutely. It was funny. It was, look, we're all superficial at a certain age. No question. When I was in my young twenties, I was actually going thinking dental school. I was going to do cosmetic dentistry. I'm, I'm fairly artsy, hence my spirit animal back here. So I, I had talent, you know, as far as uh, being able to do things with my hands, et cetera, vision. So I was like, cosmetic dentistry has to be a fun place, you know? And I met this young cat. He's working out at the gym that I'm working out at. Every day he's rolling up in a new ride, like brand new Dodge Viper. Then the next day is an SL 500. And the next day is a, you know, Porsche Cayenne Turbo just came out. He's got, I'm like, holy hell, man, what's this guy doing? And I'm chatting with him. He's like, yeah, I'm a pharmacy owner. It's like a 32 year old, 33 year old guy at the time. I'm a young 20 year old dude. Just mesmerized. This is back when date myself here. Plasma televisions were like $30,000 a pop. So I'm working on his, I had a small stint where I was working for my father doing sprinklers and drainage and all this. I was actually working on his house. He's like, ah, come in here, come inside. Let's chat a little bit about why you want to do dentistry. And I go in this guy's house. It's like plasma screen on every damn wall and the cars in the garage. I'm like, whatever this guy does, I'm signing up for at the end of this meeting. Like, I don't care what it is. So it was pharmacy. And he's like, I own pharmacies. You know, he invited me to come visit him. And I literally that day, I was like, I'm going to take the damn pharmacy interest exam. Like, if this is the lifestyle I'm in, there's a huge catch to this story. But so anyways, I go to pharmacy school and I knew going into it, I wanted to own that I wanted the entrepreneurship side of it. And the thing I realized with pharmacy versus dentistry was dentistry was going to limit me by these two hands. So I, my capacity to earn would have been these two hands because it would have all been reliant on my talent. So I would have had to increase 
either the volume of what I could do with my two hands or the skill set so much so that what I got paid for each time I traded my hands for money would make sense for me. And that's not the life I wanted. I wanted to be able to scale in a way that I got to buy time back. And that pharmacy, it takes a skilled individual, but I can find pharmacists much more readily than I'm going to go find highly skilled cosmetic dental surgeons to expand a practice. So I pivoted that way. Guy ended up getting busted for Medicare fraud and was hiding a bunch of cash. So good thing I didn't learn a damn thing from him, but it was enough to get me in that route to go to, you know, to head to pharmacy school. What's one thing you wish like more people understood about the pharmacy industry? Man, it's convoluted. So people think like we support independent pharmacy, locally owned pharmacies, like I own pharmacies. There are about 20,000 independently owned pharmacies in the United States. So if you're using a CVS, a Walgreens, a Walmart, a Kroger, go shop outside of that bubble. You will be surprised. And we're bringing modern tools to these guys so they can be as good as anybody for you as far as what you can do with them. But go give an independent pharmacist because that's a, whether they're an entrepreneur or self-employed, I have my own philosophies around what, you know, qualifies each, but it's a small business owner who's really paying attention at a level that's far greater. And it's not because the pharmacists at these chains don't care. Their working environments are shit in comparison to what you can get. So just look around your block and be like, Hey, is there a independent pharmacy around me? Because Nine times out of 10, they can beat the price. They'll give you a hell of a lot better service and they'll actually focus on and look at what's going on, you know, from a, from a health perspective for you. So it's just a whole different level. AJ, can, can you walk us through the business model high level of how a pharmacy goes about making money, creating more margin, scaling? Walk us through that if you can. So this is the crazy thing too. So people just assume I have insurance. If I come in and give you my insurance card, we're going to, you're making money, right? And that's not today's environment anymore because of all this is why you see the mark cubans of the world and others coming trying to expose all the behind the scenes because everyone's like yeah why are drug prices so high well if you really unpack this which is incredibly confusing and look at how many hands are in the pot you'll understand exactly why your local independent pharmacy owner is as close to the customer as you can possibly get when it comes to earning. So when you bring an insurance plan in, our objective is to go source the drug as cheap as we can possibly source it. All quality, obviously, these are not like we're bringing them in from Mexico. We can't do that. There's too much regulation. It's, you know, your your major branded drugs, we bring those in. And then based on the contracts, we, we are basically handed from insurance companies that dictates the margin. So that's what makes this really hard because as a pharmacist, you want to save everybody and you want to give everybody great care and you want to take care of everyone. But as a business owner, you may have an insurance plan that's incredibly hard to work with and there's zero margin in where someone else has one where we can actually make some money for taking care of you. So it's a really difficult area. That's why players like Cuban and even what we're doing with Drugstore to Door is let's create a cash model. There's a huge number of drugs that you don't need a middleman to get in in the way of that are incredibly cheap. And we can get them to you cheap if we don't have to pay 15 other people in the process to get them to you, right? So when you start stripping all that fat out, then you can start to change the game. But it's a simple business model. You have a contracted rate of reimbursement. You've got drugs you got to source. you got to create that margin to get the gross profit and then operate everything off of that, mm-hmm. right? Or bring services in or other things on top of drugs where you can create. So you see pharmacies have like gift shops in the front or they'll have 
the sodas and all the other stuff. They're just looking for other items to increase margin and ticket size so that it maybe if the insurance plan isn't healthy enough, they can offset some of that margin by selling goods, you know, in the front end or services. Yeah. So, so that, that kind of leads into, I guess, one question I did have. And on your one sheet slide deck that, that you sent us your media kit before our interview, I noticed that it said that you're dedicated to making, to making healthcare more accessible, right? So mm-hmm. can you maybe discuss the, you know, the genesis of drugs, drugs store to door and how you're, you know, working to Absolutely. make healthcare more accessible? Yeah. Love to. So the thing I realized from an independent pharmacy perspective, this is a hyper fragmented market. So like when I tell you guys there's 20,000 independents, your response is the same as 99% of people I talk to, right? Like what? Really? And so for us, it's like, how can we create a banded network that obviously from a size perspective, this group of stores of, of pharmacies across the country can reach every nook and cranny of the country, right? Like you could be in Idabel, Oklahoma, or you could be in, you know, LA and have coverage by somebody who owns an independent retail site. So what can we do to collectively get you access to those players? We got to enhance their tech. We got to enhance the way they present themselves to you. And we need to do it in a place where you can access them across the board, right? So when you come to Drugstore to Door, we can actually take your location and push you to the closest independent pharmacy inside of our network, right? And for independent pharmacies, we create their new digital presence. So anything you can accomplish walking through a pharmacy's doors, we make it happen online. Full e-com, prescription fulfillment, payment, booking services, like all of those things we make sure can happen. The difference is we're not the pharmacy. We're strictly the connection points and it's our technology. So we leverage the closest affiliated independent pharmacy for you to help drive the price point down, give you all of the services and give you somebody local so that you guys are cycling your economy yourselves and leveraging, you know, that relationship through us. Yeah. We're in every state at this point, starting to build clusters. We've started a cash program that we're doing a pilot on right now. We can offer incredibly cheap generics. So we're bringing pharmacies on for small memberships where customers can come in and if we can source your drug for six bucks, seven bucks, eight bucks all day long and, and help people get not only access, but cheap medication where they can. How has your work as a pharmacist influenced your approach to like entrepreneurship and business and, and maybe vice versa? Your your experience in entrepreneurship, how's that impacted you or influenced you as a pharmacist? Just vice versa on both ends of it. Yeah, that's a great question. First time I've been asked that. So there's there's two things that popped in my mind immediately. So I was entrepreneur first, pharmacist second. First guy I bought out, that was an interesting story. But anyways, I spent some time with him in our buyout structure deal. And this was a guy that was definitely like pharmacist, personal care first, business second. And I watched the way he interacted with every customer that walked in that door and what he was willing to do for them. I mean, I watched this guy go chop wood, put it in a trailer and drive it to people's houses to make sure they had wood in their wood stoves because they couldn't afford, you know what I mean? Like to that level. And it brought incredible humility and balance to my entrepreneurial journey, like not forgetting the person at the other end of the deal and not forgetting the person in the deals that you make and not forgetting the person in the partnerships and all the other things to where you never allow business to be so much or so consuming that you forget about the person on the other end of business. And I think we you watch a lot of bad partnerships and things go sour and relationships go sour because you forget the person on the other end. 
And it all starts out fun until it gets hard. And then it's not fun. And then if you're, if your priorities are backwards when it's not fun, you fuck everything up. Like no question, or it gets extremely hard to try to bring it back together. And that balance, incredible question, man. I'm glad you asked that. That balance changes it, changes it. Yeah, I think I think that's the big misconception people have is like they think that entrepreneurs entrepreneurship and business is just to make money. It's really the opposite way, right? Like you're using this vehicle and this engine to create a way to impact others' lives, and money becomes the byproduct, and that also just allows you to enhance more people's lives. At the end of the day, it becomes a little economy right there. And I love the the people first approach that you take. So tell us a little bit more about how you intend to scale this company, create enterprise value, because I have to uh, assume that you have other things going on, so you can't be inside sure. of the business all the time. What's your strategy over the next five, 10 years? Yeah, you bet. So we've been fortunate. I, I'm so deep in this industry from a connection standpoint, which is good and bad. Uh, sometimes it's uh, going against competitors and other things. Uh, and there's not a straight line competitor for us, but We've been fortunate in that I've been able to get in the door with organizations and other players, you know, along the way. And we are, we try to inject value everywhere we can. So I do a lot of speaking engagements where I'll go out and uh, speak at a local conference. Like I got one coming up in Orlando. Oh, when is it? November, I believe. So, you know, I'll come out and just give value away. And then in return, obviously, we can help solve a lot of the problems we give value on. Uh, We've been scaling cold call team, sales team. You know, we went from, Two and a half years ago, a four-person team to now we're at 25 people in this particular venture. Um, so that's really rapid growth uh, from <clears throat> from our side. Uh, and we want to be a tech-forward company, as, as few people as possible and as much tech intervention as we can possibly put into place um, is our objective. And then our ultimate goal is uh, we wanted to get enough pharmacies in to have a legitimate network where we feel confident we can take care of customers and now we're starting to roll out the customer strategy, which is, hey, we can save you big on drugs. You don't have to go get this card or use this good RX or use that. We've got a whole network of pharmacies that can save you money. And that's the part we're starting to roll out. Why I'm starting to become a little more present is because we want the end consumer to know, hey, if it's not there for you yet, it is coming. We are starting to roll out bits and pieces of it state by state as far as drug savings goes. That's amazing. And what type of regulatory stuff have you faced here? Like, How tough is that as you break into that industry? I have to assume it's a very highly regulated industry. It's a very state to state. I know your obvious, your experience in pharmacy makes it a lot easier, but what's that barrier to entry look like in your space? Yeah, it's, there's a ton of regulation. And that's, again, where we try to empower the independent location as much as possible and support them through technology and connectivity. That way we stay out of the weeds a little bit and the pharmacy is going to practice by state laws and and the other um, things that are necessary because there are federal and state things that change per federal baseline, right? And then you've got state changes across um, every state. And so just making sure they stay within their guardrails, right? Someone brings a, sends a prescription from Florida to Oklahoma If I'm not licensed in Florida, I'm not shipping a a drug out to Florida, right? We're going to find a local Florida pharmacy who can take care of, you know, that person. OTC, fair game, right? So it just depends on on the structure. But because of the relationship between us and the independent pharmacy, we work closely with that independent pharmacy to make sure that how we're servicing the patients in their region fit all the rules and regulation of of that pharmacy in that state. So I wanted to pivot to real estate. And I know that you have, you've said before, you know, real estate 
is a great compliment to entrepreneurship for a lot of reasons. You know, I guess, can you share maybe a specific real estate investment that had a significant impact on your business and on your? For sure. I mean, my first, my first piece of real estate. So when I got out of pharmacy school, I remember broke is a joke, my friends, like $150,000 <laughs> in debt, had to borrow some money from my dad to go, you know, rent my first place while I was getting my first job at CBS. You know, I sounds, didn't come like, out. sounds like me five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was very much the real deal. And I made my first pharmacy deal with my mouth. And I swore as soon as I started to make money that I would play the game and I would not realize the income. So I drove like a $6,000 Jeep. And I mean, I was, I tried to stay as true to my word as I possibly could. And so as soon as I amassed just enough money, I think it was like a $15,000 or $20,000 down payment on this first duplex that was in Northern Texas. I stroked that check, biggest check I ever wrote in my life, you know, like, oh God, what am I doing? You know, and bought that first duplex. And the timing was great because it was like 2009, 2010. We're just coming out of that cycle of a uh, terrible real estate market. So I buy a foreclosed duplex for maybe 120 grand, maybe. And I managed that first thing and learned a lot about how I wanted to invest in real estate after that. Cause I was leaving the pharmacy, going to that property and Anytime there's a problem, I'm fixing it, I'm fixing it. And I realized after property number one, I will never buy another property that I'm personally managing because this, this needs to become a passive activity for me. So I learned real quickly how I wanted to make money, calculating help into my formula and what that meant for me from a cash flow perspective. You know, and then fast forward now, that very first property I bought is worth almost $450,000. I make, you know, over $3,000 a month on one. So. From a return perspective, it's like, and I look back and I did it pretty fast, you know, but I still look back and I'm like, man, if I could do it all over again, I would have been on every time I had a penny to my name, I would have been cycling the next property, leveraging, cycling, leveraging, cycling, leveraging, cycling. And I do it. I just didn't do it, you know, near as fast as I could have. Yeah. We, we, we hear that a lot from, from a lot of folks that have, you know, that are very successful in the game. I always ask like, what, what would you have done if you could go back, you know, 20 years ago? Like, I would just, kept buying more real estate more aggressively. Um, yeah. And it does like, but to your point though, everyone thinks real estate's so sexy. It's like passive income, but they don't realize the, the amount of active activity yeah. goes if you don't make it passive. And it's, it's a job if you're not making it passive. And when you do make it passive, you're not making that much money on one deal right. to start. Um, right. You have to understand those implications, especially in a high interest rate environment that we're in right now. But exactly. I, and it's not full passive. I mean, even though mine are passive, I would consider them passive. I'm in Oklahoma and Texas, tornadoes, hail, heavy winds. I'm re replacing hail damage every freaking year. Constantly. I'm working with roofers and insurance claims. And like, it's, there are components of it that are nonstop. I have six roofs going, undergoing replacement right now. And I've got a whole apartment complex under renovation. Like, it, there's nothing passive about those portions, you know, so I don't want anyone to get it that twisted. It, it's not sitting back and just checking the mailbox, you know, every 30 days. Yeah, especially when the, those insurance premiums continue to rise each year. Right. Um, right. So with that, I do want to shift as we, as we gear towards the end of this, you said you own part, you're a partner in a bank. Tell yeah. us a little bit about that. I know like setting up a bank is not the easiest thing. You have to capitalize. You got to get bonds. Like tell us what that process looked like and <clears throat> what it looks like today. Yeah, it was super cool. So I came in after the, the, this bank had been going for a little while and they're kind of going through like a, a rebirth, if you will. 
And a good friend of mine ended up becoming the chairman of the board at that particular bank and gave me a call and said, you know, hey, this is what I want to accomplish over here. I'd like you to take a board seat and invest with us. And I came over and, and put a small investment in. And for more than anything for me, same, same way you guys are asking, I want to know the ins and outs of it because I leverage the hell out of my banking relationship. So I'm like, the more I can get in here and unpack, I'll pay for this education or invest for this education. Um, and got in, jumped on the loan committee and, you know, all these other committees that allow me to really understand the inner workings of a bank and, and why they lend, where they won't lend, what you can do, what you can't do, what type of bank to use for what. And it's game changing as far as understanding, like if there's one message I can get clear, a bank wants to lend you money, period. A bank wants to lend you money. If you can't get the loan, you got something wrong with how you're setting your ducks up because they're looking for every way to give it to you. And there's very simple formulas to figure out what qualifies you or not. And the other thing that I think would be valuable for listeners is different banks are qualified for different specialties. So depending on what you're trying to get money for, you need to choose your bank wisely. I, when I first came out, I went and no knock to Chase, like I have JP Private, I do a bunch of stuff with Chase. But when I came out, I tried to get my house loan, my first house loan through Chase. I have never taken another loan other than personal credit loans through Chase after that because of the amount of red tape on an organization at that size. So when I went to scale fast, I went to mid-level and small banks, and that was a game changer. And when I built the trust and rapport with the, the, the bank itself, the board itself, I can literally make a phone call and have a check written for a property because they know how I vet the property, the type of cash flow properties I buy, my whole formula, they know me. So there's never a, you know, it's how much do you need? You know, what's the cap rate on this one? What are you going to do to it? Whatever it might be. And it's a very quick, painless process. All my closings are sidens. Like, I mean, it's gotten very easy at this point. And when you have a great relationship and you're taking care of the bank and they're taking care of you in return, like it opens up. I'm not scared of leverage. I'm not your Dave Ramsey guy. Like, do not listen to this podcast if you want some Dave Ramsey advice. I buy properties from the guys who adopt Dave Ramsey advice. Like, sell me. Yep. If you're listening and that's your path, call me. You guys can share my phone number. I'll buy your property. <laughs> we don't um, have any Dave Ramsey listeners. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll get you. I'll get you out of debt right now, and I'll take debt on to do it. So, I just for me, it's how do you play the leverage game, and then get these banks to give you money. So, without getting into the weeds of the inner workings, like. A bank is simple. They need so many deposits so they can loan so much money. And you got to give them enough deposits to loan the money and they got to work all the magic they can possible to continue to increase the deposits so that they can give more and more and more money. And that's ultimately what leads to uh, a massive bank. That's the, that's an overly simplified explanation yeah. of banking, but, but that's it. I think that's a very nuanced point that I want everyone to, to rewind and think about, especially if you're getting into business or and you're in the early stages. A lot of people ask us, a lot of our clients like, Hey, you know, who should I bank with? Who should I do my loans with? And we tell them all the time, like, Hey, I like banking with Chase in terms of like where I keep my cash. It's a very simple platform, but then like these more boutique, small, mid-sized level banks that you can actually get belly to belly, face to face with these managers, people that make the decisions. You could have multiple relationships, play those loan packages against each other. They're just going to beat the institutional rates all the time. And, yeah. and you guys where, do share my contact on this podcast. If you guys want a, a bank to vet, you want a small bank, send it our way. Well, I mean, I'll send it to my board to review. You know, if you're, 
if you make sense and you're a credit worthy borrower, we want to give you money. I mean, we do. I love it. I love it. Awesome, yeah. man. So, so as we near the end here, tell us about the overall vision. What do the next five, 10, 20 years look like for AJS Gary? Yeah, you bet, man. One, thriving on the journey, man. That's the biggest thing for me. Relationships, people, elevating as many people as I can, and then just making sure I take care of the people closest to me in the process. And in that, you know, just win big. Like it, my objective, 20 year, 30 year, 50 year, whatever, however long I live, whatever technology does for us is I don't want to be sitting in a nursing home asking the question, what if? I, that's a, a 100% unacceptable way of life for me. And so whether we nail this thing big or we fail hard and we do it again and do it in a different way, all of those are exciting outcomes for me. But what I'd love to see is drugstore to door be the household name for anybody, especially anyone who's unfortunately or unfortunately needs medication or anything else that's pharmacy related. We want to be their first stop so that they know they've got a trusted resource. They've got a cost-effective resource and they got somebody that even if they can't navigate the cost for them, they can give them solid advice on what next steps should be to help manage their difficulty. And I say that and to build credibility in that, my dad got ALS and died of ALS. My wife's a nurse practitioner. I'm a pharmacist. We're very much wrapped in this healthcare system. And it's an incredibly fragmented place to be. And it's very hard to navigate. And everybody's care starts with the pharmacist because they're the most accessible healthcare provider on the planet. So I want to make sure we help facilitate that every way possible. So, so, so being that this is the consistency wins podcast, we like to ask all of our, our guests, what does consistency mean to you? How does it show up in, in your life and your business? So from, from that 15-year-old story to now, the longest break I've taken out of a gym or being physically active has probably been two weeks consecutively, right? I may take a trip where it's three or four days here and there. Every day I show up, if I feel good, I show up. If I feel bad, I show up. If I, the workout may not be as good, but I still come in and get a few punches in every single time. And I carry that through in everything I do. My, I have a little girl, two years old. Every morning, I spend the morning with her. Every night that I'm home and available, which is most nights that I'm not traveling, she gets bedtime with dad every single night, right? So I, all of those things, you know, if you say you're going to do something, it's guaranteed to get hard. And if you stop showing up when it gets hard and you're only there for the party, good luck on the, on your success run. So for me, consistency is just showing up no matter what the weather is, you're showing up, period. Let's go. Dude, I, I love it. Yeah. That was a great, great, you know, everything that you just said there. You just mic dropped right there. I love it. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. AJ, it has been an absolute pleasure, man. I know this is not the last time we're going to connect. There's definitely a lot sure. of stuff offline that we want to connect with you about. Thank you so much, guys. We'll have all of AJ's stuff in the description as well if you guys want to connect with him and have a great day, man. Awesome. Thanks, guys.